Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Today we're in Auckland, California, and we talk with Steve Keller, audio alchemist and sonic strategy director at Pandora. We talk about audio only and audio first strategies in the platinum age of audio, how COVID has changed our listening habits and how leaders can foster the ability to listen inside their companies. We learn about his research on sonic racism and he shares with us a little ritual that he uses before brainstorm sessions that matter. So welcome, Steve. Hi, Christoph. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. Steve, I would like to start with a, with a short question, and that's what's your first memorable sonic experience that had an impact on you? Wow. Um, I would have to say, you know, thinking back when I was first captured by the power of music was when I was a child And um, my parents uh, bought a, uh, a record that was put out by the Disney company that was called Great Composers. Uh, and, and so it was just a little, uh, it was, a, you know, a, an LP um, back in the day before we were listening to cassettes or streaming audio. And uh, it was a collection of great composers with little stories about their lives. And I was just fascinated with Beethoven. And, the, and his story, the power of music, the, the you know, how he, uh, you know, was hearing impaired, um, but still the music was so expressive. And that compelled me to ask my parents if I could take piano lessons. Wow. Um, and, and this was, you know, around the, the age of, uh, of five, six years wow. old. Um, and, and, and that's when I started uh, playing piano and music has been a part of my life and my career uh, ever since. Wow, great. Now let's talk about your career. So maybe you can tell us who you are and what you're doing. Yes. Uh, so, so uh, you know, my, I've had a meandering path, but where I've landed um, at the moment is I'm the, the sonic strategy director for Studio Resonate. Um, and I'll begin by, you know, answering the question that many people Uh, automatically feed back to me, which is Sonic Strategy Director. That's a really cool title, but what is that? Uh, and so I've kind of explained it by saying, um, I'm the guy that blends sound science with sound art to help our clients make sound decisions. And so Studio Resonate is the in-house um, audio-first creative consultancy for SXM Media. And as such, I'm working with Pandora, which is the music streaming service here in the, the U.S., one of the first streaming services that was launched in the world. Um, but many people worldwide don't know about Pandora uh, because of its limitations to the U.S. I also work with uh, SXM uh, Satellite Radio, 
uh, and so their footprint. And then we recently acquired Stitcher, which is a podcasting company. Um, and we represent all of the ad inventory for SoundCloud. Uh, oh. So with all of those combined, um, we represent probably you know around 75%, 70-75% of the digital advertising media in the U.S. Uh, so you know 150 uh, million listening ears that we get into um, through the course of a day. So that's wow. that's the the story of the title and um, and the job. And and what exactly are you doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> so so if we hear the title, sure. we understand. But what, what's your what, what's your daily daily business? Well, my you know my my background, uh, my field of expertise is is looking at how music and sound can impact perception and behavior. Uh, and so, music and sound is is a part of advertising. You know, we're all familiar with seeing or hearing commercials where there's a music track or there's a voiceover or there's sound design. Uh, and I look at uh, ways that we can make better decisions about choices for music, for sound, uh, the way that a brand will show up in multiple places, not just commercials, but what happens when you call and you get put on hold. What's the sound of the UX or UI that's part of an app? Uh, maybe there's an Alexa skill uh, in terms of smart speakers that uh, is used. Maybe there's music or sound in the environment of a, of a store or, or retail. Uh, and how do we build consistent sonic experiences um, that not only communicate a perception of the brand, but have an impact on maybe uh, you know, a consumer's perception of how long they've been on hold or how they're moving through uh, an environment or how they're responding to a notification sound uh, or how they're remembering the brand just from a particular sound that they're hearing, uh, much like uh, a visual identity of the brand is a way that you recognize a brand when you see it. What's the audio right. identity that you recognize when you hear it? So that's that's very broad, but as as you can hear in that description, there's the science and the art that's a part of that that I'm always blending together to help the clients understand um, how to make better choices when it comes yeah. to sound and the use of sound. And how would how would this work together? Because we we know all the agencies, we know the visual um, the, the visual identities, and sometimes people say, "Oh yeah," and we have we need something for let's say a podcast trailer uh, uh, or or something like this. And are you then working with them together? And also maybe in, um, uh, to add another question: Does it uh, sometimes appear that clients come first to you for the sonic identity and then later go to graphic identity? Uh, it it can happen in a in a lot of different ways, uh, and and every client is is a little different. Um, so the work is very collaborative. So obviously, um, when you're working on sound, you need to involve all the the stakeholders. Uh, you know, you have the brand, you have the marketing um, arm of the, of the brand. You also very often have advertising agencies that are involved with the brand, sometimes social media agencies, sometimes um, you know, UX and UI designers. Sometimes it's about the sound of the product itself where you can then get into you know, relating with the, the manufacturers. So it really kind of depends on 
um, where in this sonic ecosystem, you know, you're showing up, who are the stakeholders there and who do you need to collaborate with? Um, typically, we find that most brands uh, have the audio, the visual identities first. Um, and brands have been very uh, intentional with the development of those visual identities. There's, you know, they look at, at the, the symbols that they're using, the values in the brand, they develop a typography, uh, they go to great lengths to trademark and copyright uh, these marks. They build uh, brand guidelines to make sure that the visuals are always used consistently. There's specific colors that are associated. Um, and unfortunately, sound and music are very often an afterthought. Uh, you know, they'll think about it when they need music for a commercial. Uh, and so the, the change for us is helping uh, our clients understand that they can put just as much rigor and discipline in the development of a sonic identity as they do with their visual identity. So it's, it's rare that a client will come to us and not have any visual identity and we start with the sonic identity. Usually it's, it's following, um, but uh, the, the trick is helping clients make that connection between uh, the time and resources that they're devoting to their visual identity. Let's do the same with your sonic identity because the impact on brand salience, on memory, on uh, engagement with, with clients, um, on long-term uh, branding strategies and emotional connections uh, really are driven as much, if not more, by what a consumer hears than what a consumer sees. Uh, and if you can get both of those things working together, you know, then we're getting into cross-modal science, super additivity, and the way when we combine all of our senses uh, in a congruent manner, um, it magnifies uh, the, the experience. So it, it really is about you know, how we use what we know from science to help creators, artists that are coming you know, into play in creating the sounds uh, to create sounds that are targeted and effective in the way we need them to be. Wow. Wow. That was an awful lot. As, as we talk, you'll see, I, I tend to babble on as the brook, as I say. Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot that's to, great. to unpack. <laughs> but, but that's why I, yeah, I invited you. So, <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you just touched the, the advertising business and uh, also mentioned um, the, the social media. Um, and um, we we once also met in Clubhouse, and this would yes. be actually a game changer, a game changer for your business. Can you explore a little bit more? And you you you're doing some activities there. Yes, sure. Well, I, you know, I think very often when I'm presenting to brands, and this is a great segue because it kind of builds on what um, I was just saying. Uh, when I begin the presentation, I have three observations. The first observation is sound moves us. You know, there's no question about that. You started with what was the sound I remember, you know, early on. And right. we've got this soundtrack of our lives if we stop and think about it. So there's no question about that. Um, and yet, for all its power, music and sound are an undervalued asset. That's that's the second point. And I just said very often it's, it's the last thing people think about. They're not as disciplined. Um, but the third observation is that we've entered you know, what I'm calling the, the platinum age of audio, uh, where, you know, in the early days before television, you had radio and, you know, you were reaching consumers through sound. 
And in some ways, you know, history is repeating itself in the sense that now we're opening up channels that I would call, you know, either audio only or audio first. Audio first means that it's it's uh, it revolves around sound. Audio only is that that's the only expression. So we have channels like smart speakers now where you're speaking and being spoken to, how are brands showing up there? Here's an environment where there is no visual, there's no text. So how do you as a brand stand out from every other brand on that quote unquote digital shelf? You can't see the packaging, you can't see the colors, we can only hear you. So that's forcing these conversations. Um, and there's also, uh, you know, the, the way that COVID has kind of transformed us in terms of our listening habits, um, you know, kind of leaning into streaming services a little more. And during this time, we have the rise of an app like Clubhouse, uh, which is in, in many ways, um, it's like a live podcast. Uh, it's like talk radio. Um, you have the ability to listen in, but at any point in time, you can raise your hand, be invited to the stage, have these uh, conversations, and the, that app has exploded um, to the point now where we see uh, Twitter playing with Twitter spaces. Uh, LinkedIn is talking about having uh, an audio channel uh, like this. Um, Spotify uh, just did an acquisition of a company um, that it looks like they're going to attempt to develop their uh, their version of Clubhouse. And so these are spaces um, where consumers are living, where they're hanging out, and brands can begin to think about, how do I participate in this space? And some brands are starting to do this. Uh, I, I saw recently that um, International House of Pancakes had a, a, a chance, a, a room on Clubhouse uh, that was just the sound of sizzling bacon. All right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, that you, it, it was in some ways clever, but I think where brands have to be careful is thinking about how they're showing up in these spaces, yeah. which again, it's, it's not simply about showing up and talking at people. It's about bringing value. Uh, and you have to think about that sonically too. What's the value that you're bringing? So this platinum age of audio is forcing brands to start asking the question, you know, how am I showing up in these spaces? What is my sonic identity? Um, how am I consistent in the literal voice of my brand, you know, which leads us into conversations like we're having today. Yeah, absolutely. This is also something that when I think about it, if, if we think this uh, a bit further, um, This could also mean that we could expect a, a lot of sound logos when we go into Clubhouse or in other situations or even, in, and if I bring it even further and say I do a personal branding, so mm -hmm. everybody that speaks um, besides his voice, his yes. timbre in the voice, the way you, you, you speak would then yes. maybe be interrupted by a commercial and started with a sound logo. How, how do you see this? Well, I think this is a very important question, you know, and, and I think this speaks to, again, how are we making choices? Because if we're only thinking about sound tactically, oh, I've got a sonic logo, let me just use that, or I've got a brand theme or a, or a jingle, 
there, there's a danger that it just becomes noise like anything else. So, you know, what is the strategy for how you use sound to be distinctive? Um, you know, part of a sonic identity could also be silence. You know, so, so where do you have these moments where things are quiet or you pause? You know, how do you build the, the dynamics? You know, I, I think of uh, electric vehicles. And because of the legal mandates, uh, you know, there's a danger if a vehicle is so silent that you don't hear it. What happens if you step mm-hmm. out, you know, in front of one or if your, uh, your sight is impaired? Um, and so uh, many of these car manufacturers are now designing sounds for, for the cars. Uh, and it, it gives them a way to sonically brand the vehicle um, and be clever. But I often wonder, how will this change our city soundscapes? You know, now we're not hearing the noise of engines, uh, but we're hearing the noise of, you know, a a digital replication, if you will, uh, of that of that engine. Um, How are the companies going to work together? Um, Because if they worked together, they could perhaps find ways to blend these sounds, uh, you know, in a way that's very harmonious. And that leads me to thinking about um, sound in healthcare environments. Uh, and the sound of the beeps and the alarms and everything that's going off and the research that's been done, uh, individuals coming out of these situations with uh, exhibiting um, post um, the symptoms of uh, post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. uh, as a result of the sound. And so researchers are looking at ways where they can develop sounds that still communicate what needs to be communicated to a practitioner uh, in terms of, of signals, but maybe don't create a cacophony uh, for, yeah. for the patient. Um, and this you know, is really all about design and thinking, again, bringing design principles to the decision-making uh, process. So whether it's how you're showing up in Clubhouse uh, or how your product is showing up in the world, you need to be thinking about the impact on the listener. Um, and the last thing that I'll, I'll mention is, uh, you know, you commented about our voices. And in some ways, that really is our personal sonic brands. Uh, you know, that's, that's how we get to know each other. Um, our voices are flexible enough that um, you can recognize my voice and then you can begin, as you get to know me, to pick up on the cues. Is Steve excited? Is Steve sad? Is, is Steve angry? Um, and yet you still know it's Steve. And the more we get to know each other, we get to a point where I can say your name, call out to you from across the street. Uh, and before you even turn around to see me, you know, that's Steve. Um, and that's a practical metaphor for what we do with brands. Um, and brands very often, when they're not consistent and disciplined in their approach to sound. It's like they're changing their voice Mm. every time you encounter them. So imagine Mm. that if you and I are talking and, you know, the next time we talk, maybe my voice sounds like this. I'm from the South. Or maybe some other times I'm, you know, I've got it down lower. You would just think I was absolutely crazy. I mean, you wouldn't trust me. You, you, you might find it humorous and, you know, be wondering every time you talk to me, oh, what's Steve going to sound like today? Um, but that's how brands operate all the time. And it's a simple illustration of, you know, the, 
the problems that you can create for yourself when you don't think about just showing up authentically and consistently. Which is the base of every branding. Yes. To, 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 be, uh, to be who you are and not someone else. And yeah. um, to, to adapt to situations or context, but still yes. be, be you as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. if, if we take the analogy between music and business, mm -hmm. um, there's also a difference between hearing and listening. So sometimes we hear stuff and, or we don't hear it. And we just talked about the, the signals or the cues, like the church, come to me, yeah. <laughs> or, right. or, or the, uh, the, the beep of, the, of, a, of a truck backing mm -hmm. up, saying, go away. So, so all these messages need to bring something over. But when we go to business, and we take the, this as an uh, analogy, it's also that businesses are very, very much focused on telling stuff. Yes. On getting something across and I, I, you, you wrote a, a, a piece about that the reality of most organizations is more concerned on the outputs and yes. not on the inputs and, and mm -hmm. I, I like this very, very much and maybe you can el uh, elaborate on this how you um, work together with companies where you exactly see it's just about The, the, the advertising and something else instead of trying to listen, which would also yeah. be a link to what we just talked about in Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. So not first to, to get something across, but first try to, to get something in to see what's happening there and, and, and being yourself, but together with a, with a, with a crowd. Yeah. I, you know, what you're speaking to there is the essence of um, the strategy piece that's in my title as a sonic strategy director. Um, and another one of my um, little mantras, I have so many, but another one of my little mantras is that I often say that sonic strategy doesn't start with your ears. It starts with what's between them. Um, and, nice. you know, very often when we start thinking about sound, we sometimes, you know, again, jump to the tactic of, oh, what's the sound I can put into or onto a brand or, or the environment without first stopping and listening and saying, well, what's the sound that's there to begin with? You know, the, the, our process of sonic identity begins with an assessment. And part of that assessment is a series of interviews. It's listening to how the brand has shown up in places in the past, how it's currently showing up, listening to all the consumer touch points so, you know, along the way in that consumer journey um, where the brand is reaching consumer ears and, and what are they hearing. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot of practical common sense and common wisdom in the approach when we stop long enough to think about it. Hmm. Um, and, you know, if you think about a relationship, which very often when we talk about you know, brands, consumers, we talk about the brand consumer relationship, mm -hmm. you know, let's just take that to, to any relationship. You know, if, if I don't practice active listening and by that, I mean, you know, I'm pausing my own agenda when you're talking to me, I'm not thinking about, Oh, you just said that that triggers a memory for me. I can't wait till you stop speaking so I can jump into that space and tell you what I just remembered or what I'm thinking, or I interrupt you. 
you know, or I'm, you know, I want to give you the advice, you know, the, the, the relationships I think for us that we enjoy the most, um, and are, are most transformative in our lives are relationships where we feel heard. Uh, and that means that we, we feel like the other person is really listening to us and has the capacity to hear and, and understand. Uh, and I think you take that simple metaphor into the brand consumer relationship. Um, and this is where the value of consumer research is, of ethnographic exercises, of interviews comes into play. This is our opportunity to listen. You know, it's not simply about finding you know, what's, what's the touch points? And if I connect these, can I influence the consumer's behavior and habits? It really is trying to understand what are the needs? What are the drivers? Um, you know, what, what do consumers need and how can we show up, um, as, as a business there? Uh, and I also think internally facing, this is another thing for businesses. When you think about employees, when you think about the culture of a company, you know, how are we fostering um, the ability to listen, um, the, the freedom to be able to speak and to be heard, and what is our company culture around these kind of listening behaviors. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's another dynamic in and of itself, um, because we often think of sound as consumer facing. But, you know, when we do the work, we're often also thinking about, well, sonically, how do your employees relate to this? You know, you're building a soundscape for a retail environment. Think about that employee that has to be there for eight hours in a day. Are they going to hear the same song a hundred times? <laughs> Can you imagine what that would do to an employee and ultimately how that will affect the employee's relationship with the consumer? So let's design something where we, you know, have consistency, but we don't have so much repetition that it, it gets annoying. So it's, you know, it's not just thinking about how you sound to the consumer, but thinking about how are you sounding to your employees, to, again, to your stakeholders? Um, and how does that impact, um, you know, the overall performance um, of, of your company in the world? Uh, this also means... If you don't listen to your employees, they will not listen to uh, to the consumers. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, very often. Um, and, I, and I think that this is a place where um, companies can do better in terms of training. You know, businesses doing things that helps uh, their employees learn to listen, not just to consumers, but to each other. Um, and very often this is a failure uh, at, with upper management. And with with leadership there, um, and you know right. that that's a whole other you know discussion you know around thinking we you know we've been talking about in you know in the context of advertising, but how some of these principles um, could be very beneficial to companies as they think about um, you know their training, uh, their decision making processes, um, you know how they're uh, working through. Uh, finding solutions to, to problems and how principles that, you know, we learn in 
other areas of the world, and particularly in the arts, um, can be very beneficial to hmm. making decisions um, in corporate structures and, and business structures uh, because there are frameworks that we can use and, and adapt. How, how can we help business to develop that skill or that uh, ability to, to better listen? And you talked about the upper management, so the, mm -hmm. the leadership. Um, I also see leadership needs followership. And if you want to be a good leader, you might be also understand what following means. Yes. So that's, that's maybe the listening part of the, of the, 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 the leadership. So do you have any ideas or any thoughts? Or maybe how do you do this in, in, in Pandora, in your company? You know, I mean, this is where I could very easily flip the script and turn to me being the interviewer and interviewing you, uh, because, you know, I think some of the work you're doing with music thinking is a brilliant application of, of this. Um, you know, it's not about you know, trying to turn other people into musicians. It's taking uh, skill sets that you can learn from music, musicians, um, the way, you know, you work together as a band or an orchestra, what's, what's improvisation? Um, you know, how do you listen, uh, effectively to hear this instrument or that instrument? Uh, you know, the importance of arrangement and things fitting together. Uh, and I think that's, that's where we pull these things in. And certainly, you know, in, in, in my business, within our culture, uh, you know, we have the advantage that uh, everybody that's, you know, that I've encountered in our organization loves music. And very often, you know, they've got their, you know, they play in a band on the side or they're a vocalist or they're teaching, or, you know, they're, they're actively involved um, in, uh, in music or sound. Uh, and they bring that passion uh, to work. Uh, and they have some of these skill sets that they naturally, uh, you know, bring into play. But even if you're not a trained musician or that, you know, that part of artistry or creativity isn't part of your regular life. Um, again, sound moves us and we all have these soundtracks in our lives. Uh, and if we just pause enough to start applying simple principles of listening, uh, that we can pull from frameworks uh, that are taught um, as part of music theory, or, uh, you know, if you're taking a, a, a music lesson, uh, the value is in applying that framework in a new and different way. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have friends um, in Nashville, I've, I spent 30 years in Nashville, which, you know, Music City, USA. Uh, yeah. And the thing that I loved about Nashville was uh, it was all about the craft, the craft of songwriting, the craft of producing, the craft of being an engineer, the craft of being um, a manager. Uh, and so some of my songwriting friends uh, have developed businesses where um, they work uh, as part of uh, corporate team building workshops where hmm. they will come in and they'll lead a songwriting workshop. Uh, and so what will happen is that the employees uh, break into teams, uh, they learn to write a song, they write a song together, 
uh, that's performed at the end of the day. And the real value isn't in the fact that they've written a song. The real value is in their learning how to apply a skill set in a new and different way. How do we think about melody? How do we collaborate um, on you know, finding a, a, a theme and drawing that through in a, in a new and a unique way? How do we find the particular skill set? You know, this person may be better as a vocalist. This person may be better as an instrumentalist. This person may be better at, as a lyricist. Um, and so how do we identify and amplify our individual skills to work together as a team to create something. I mean, that's essentially the, the process. Uh, and so it's just using this music framework um, in a corporate setting uh, as tools that can help to build a team and, and have solutions. Uh, and, and I think, you know, another aspect of that, particularly with music and music thinking, is there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of empathy uh, in, in really learning to, to listen, whether that's to someone else or it's to a piece of music. You know, we know how music affects our, our emotions and our voices can have that impact as well. And there are a lot of things in a context, you know, so if we can understand, you know, how to, how to really listen, how to be empathetic with a listener, um, to, to bring that empathy to bear in how we're thinking about what we're saying, how we might modify approach. You know, now basically I'm starting to talk about a design thinking model mm -hmm. and music thinking and design thinking, you know, are mirror each other as, as you know, I'm preaching to the, to the choir, but I think this is, um, this is the value of these kinds of frameworks. And the last thing that I'll say about, about that is that um, it's very easy for us um, to get into habits where we go from point A to point B. We've learned how to get to point A from point B. The way our brains work is trying to find efficiencies to make that happen. And right. so very often, once we learn that path, we go from point A to point B without paying any attention to what the journey is to yeah. get from point A to point B. And so by by um, kind of interjecting something new and different, um, maybe saying, okay, we want to get from point A to point B, but this road that you've always taken, it's blocked. Yeah. You can't use that anymore. So now here's the, the chaos we're going to interject into the system. And, but also this is where creativity is, which is why I believe chaos and creativity go, go hand in hand. Now we have to find a, a solution how are we going to do that? Um, and so using, you know, design thinking or using a tool like music thinking um, basically says we're going to, you know, we're going to look at problem solving. Um, some of this will be familiar, but it's going, some is going to be unfamiliar. That may be uncomfortable, but that's actually a good thing um, because it's going to, to help us to, to listen more. Uh, one trick sometimes um, I do uh, in, in brainstorms, um, I'll often begin a brainstorm with uh, 60 seconds of silence. And 60 seconds can seem like an hour or, right. or longer. <laughs> and I'll ask folks to, to start by, you know, first just clasping their hands. 
Um, you know, just put your fing- hands together with your fingers inter- intertwined. Um, and, you know, some of us will do that and have our the thumb of our left hand on top. Some of us will have the thumb of our right hand on top. And I'll say, before we begin these 60 seconds, clasp your hands again, but, but switch where your thumb is. Right. And so that simple cool. exercise creates a different physical awareness that's odd. And then the silence creates a space, you know, to begin not only listening to our own thoughts, but becoming aware of that different feeling in our, our body. And then when we begin the brainstorm, um, you know, we, we've, we've kind of reset some things. Uh, and I've, I've often found that in the flow that comes from that, people are just beginning to be more intentional in their Mm. listening. Right. Um, so again, these are just simple tricks that, you know, we can use to hack our sensory perception and and break us out of uh, habits that perhaps get in the way of us really listening um, to each other or consumers or the world or our brands. Wow. Great. Thanks for sharing this. And I think that's that's the nice uh, thing of it uh, everybody can do it as long as you have two yes. hands and you have the people and this twist and yeah. this is also the the link to hearing and listening mm-hmm. because sometimes we don't we don't hear stuff because we don't know what it is it's also mm-hmm. like we only can hear what we know mm-hmm. and if we hear something that we don't know we try to erase it for the moment and focus on all the stuff that we know this yeah. means our, our audio uh, our sonic uh, autoimmune system <laughs> yes. tries to keep us uh, safe from from new impressions yeah. and we were looking for the harmony and i think this is uh, also in in the analogy for business uh, business are operating in maybe in the same thing mm-hmm. everything that's different that's uh, 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 yeah g- going away from the norm or something that we do here or that we say uh, or that's part of us and it will always be erased and I like your your exercise very much to just flip it once yeah so there are no there are no no 10 variations it's only one just flip it yeah. and look it from the other side there's right. another perspective to it and i think one other thing that i'll you know that i think is important um that relates to this idea of, you know, a physical exercise that might impact how we hear things um, is uh, this idea um, that our perception of reality of the world around us comes through our senses. Uh, And when we talk about sound um, and even listening um, and we're being more intentional, we're focusing on that, uh, there's, there's a danger in forgetting the fact that um, our experience of the world is a multi-sensory experience. You know, there's some individuals who may be impaired, um, and so maybe all of the senses may not be at their disposal. But um, for many of us, uh, these are multi-sensory experiences. And in my research, looking at cross-modalism, which is the way the modalities or sensory modalities work together. Um, we found that one sense can influence 
another sense and we can hack our, our perception. I can change your perception of flavor of the, yeah. the, that piece of chocolate in your mouth. I can, I can make it taste more bitter or more sweet depending on the soundscapes that I'm putting into your, you know, your earbuds uh, versus the tastes that hitting your taste buds. Uh, and so when we think about sound, uh, another one of my quips is that, uh, you know, sound doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, and yeah. that's, you know, in terms of physics, that's absolutely true. Um, and so we, all, we need to think about how sound is impacting, um, you know, our other perceptions and vice versa. So very often when we're listening, uh, you know, we need to be aware of, of what is the what is the environment? Um, and that sometimes by changing environmental cues, you know, yep. I mean, you could think about what's the color of the room that you're brainstorming in. Um, you know, what's, what's the color of your brand? How is that an expression? Um, thinking about other aspects of, of design, of texture, of, of smell. Uh, and I think part of active listening isn't just in terms of what you're hearing, but active lis listening is also the awareness yeah. of other sensory perceptions. Absolutely, um, you, you would listen yeah. with your whole body in this. Yes. Uh, yeah, 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 and 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 so you know, paying paying attention to um, you know what are distractions, what are environments, uh, and how can we help focus um, the way we're we're hearing, uh, and and what does what we're hearing. Uh, how does that impact what we're seeing or some other um, sensory input? Right. So I, I just felt like that was an important call out because as much as we're talking about sound, we're not yeah. talking about it isolated from everything. everything Ab abs else. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad that you bring it up. That's also the idea of music thinking. It's not only about music. It's about being the multisensory uh, part and music. It's just a, a, a catalyzer catalyzer and and trying to 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 bring it up and this is also it comes up um to me at the moment we we have this covid situation since more than a year uh, how can sound help us to because you just uh, talked about um with with the sounds uh, you could change the way how things taste it could also help us to the way to help us to maybe have one and a half meter uh, distance. And how can we do this is everybody has uh, earbuds <laughs> and, and, and is not listening to the environment, but only listening to themselves. So what's your take on that? Well, again, I think this comes back to intention. Um, and I, you know, I wrote a piece at the beginning of COVID um, about, uh, you know, how the world sound, you know, sounded very different to me. Because I'm always yeah. listening, you know that's yeah. that's part of my my job, and um, you know what we found during COVID was that um, you know there were different things that were happening. I mean, there was an article that was written about San Francisco, and the fact that um, there was birdsong being heard uh, yeah. that hadn't been heard before because the cities were were quieter. You know, we we heard that a lot in uh, you know in environments. Um, There are ways in which, uh, you know, we're, we're forced to, to listen to a partner or someone that we're locked into space with more. Um, and, you know, we've seen from some of the research that 
that was even problematic. You know, in certain countries, uh, you know, a rise in divorce rates or even domestic mm. um, abuse, uh, you know, because of, of, of being in these um, locked down spaces. Uh, so, you know, I've tried to use this as an opportunity to say what sounds different, what sounds the same. And on the other side of this, uh, you know, what, what have I learned? What are, what are sounds that I want to be paying more attention to? Um, what are sounds that uh, I want to be encouraging more? Uh, and, and again, as we've said time and time again through our conversation, um, it's, it's just about um, frameworks and, and intention. And we found that, uh, you know, listening habits through COVID, um, uh, there was a lot of nostalgia. You know, people <laughs> yeah. were going back to things that they were familiar with, old, yeah. old songs. Um, right. We'd seen ways in which music was being used as a social surrogate. You know, that because there's very often memories that we have around music, music memories uh, of situations, things with people, um, you know, whether they be a, a group event or a, or a loved one. Um, and that uh, the triggers, the memories that are evoked there um, weren't simply of, um, you know, time in our life, but also of these relationships. Um, and that was kind of taking the place of being able to actually be with, with those individuals. Um, so I think we're going to see more research come out. You know, I was a, a part of a small group of academics, actually people who are much smarter than I am. Uh, and they were starting to study early on what were some of these shifts. And so we're beginning to see some research in terms of of listening habits. It'll be interesting to see on the other side of this, you know, where this goes. Certainly we talked about clubhouse earlier. I think the explosion of clubhouse, you know, was because we were so starved for group conversations. Um, you know, there are questions, well, what will happen on the other side of COVID, you know, as things yeah. open back up and we kind of return to life as, as usual, how will some of these spaces that are more audio first or audio only um, translate uh, into this world? And, and my hope is, is that um, they continue to thrive um, and we find a way to look at how we're showing up in these spaces differently than how we're showing up in other spaces. And, you know, what are things that we can bring uh, from conversations um, into a, a new world and a, and a different environment. Um, right. I think I answered your question. I don't know if I danced <laughs> danced around it, but um, you know, for for me, it's it's been focused on uh, how the world sounds different. Um, yeah, and and what I take from that with me as we come out of COVID. Right. It's, it's also less answering a question, but more having a conversation in, yeah. in that sense that you're triggering things that, that, that I have to um, also to, to, to think about. And I would like to make a connection with the, another field where I'm um, engaged um, in, in the think tank uh, where we talk about brands with a conscience. Mm -hmm. So this could on one part be also would brands with a conscience and with the conscience being like 
everything that's going on and it's going ar around us from climate change to to all the things that our society and our our planet um, uh, um, is experiencing and my and in in that part um, we we think that the old generation thinking like baby boomer generation x the millennials generation c that is f also created by the west by the western world for advertising mm -hmm. to 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 just divide different generations and we 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 came up with uh, something like generation co like the co from co-creation communication mm -hmm. and also covid and corona so yeah. is this a new generation and my question for you would be what would be a sound aspect of this is would this be a, a, a harmony or maybe it's a stupid question because i know there is no one answer but i just want to trigger your your thinking on that part is it possible that it that we can be connected with sound that also works not in an advertising way that is segmented by old generation uh, segments but by a new generation that connects us from here to aboriginal people in wherever in the world yeah i mean i think uh there's a lot to un unpack there I, it's, i would say you know to your point um you know generally when we talk about these um, cultural groups, you know, millennials, Gen X, Gen Z, baby boomers, um, these are essentially constructs uh, that, that, you know, we very often use in, in marketing to try and, and simplify communications. Uh, and yet in the, in the real world, um, these, these constructs don't always hold up really well. Uh, it's, it's easy to use them to stereotype um, to put people in boxes, uh, and people are much more complicated. Um, generations are much more complicated. Um, there are probably far more similarities than there are, are differences. And within any of these groups, um, you know, there are certainly uh, cohorts, you know, here in the U.S., you know, pre-9-11, post-9-11, you know, and yeah, now we have right. pre-COVID, post-COVID. Um, Yes, uh, certainly these events um, can be transformative and could be pivot points. Um, but I tend to, you know, try and look beyond uh, the stereotypes and look for more of the through lines. However, I do think that there's something to be said um, in in talking about what you mentioned, you know, in terms of of purpose, of, of meaning, of social conscience and, and awareness and cultural capital from a brand standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think we need to be careful because I, I think that, again, this can become um, a, a phrase and brands can hop on the bandwagon of, of causes yes. you know, in an attempt to um, you know, pander to consumers um, and can begin to do what we would call virtue signaling, um, <laughs> which is, is essentially I'm saying all the right things. And yet if you dig a little bit deeper, um, my walk doesn't match my, my talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested 
in looking at, you know, in talking specifically about advertising and advertisers, um, the way that advertising has had an impact on um, culture. Uh, and we can go through and look at how um, ads, advertising, products um, have shaped um, the, the cultural milieu, if you will, um, of, of a region uh, or a country or a group of people. Um, and I'm thinking now, as, you know, as we think about sonically, you know, how that may show up with some of the work that I'm doing that I'm most passionate about at the moment, which is thinking about race yeah. um, and race as a sonic construct. And particularly here in the U.S., um, where the, the dominant culture, white, um, has so marginalized uh, the minority culture. And, and here I'm speaking specifically um, of not just all minorities, but um, of the black population. Mm -hmm. And how essentially, if you look at the history, sonically, we have marginalized them from the very beginning, um, from describing the sound of their voice or the sound that is associated with the, the, the black community um, and how that has so racialized our listening mm -hmm. that we have defined what it means to sound black mm. versus to sound white. And right. so in my own research, um, you know, particularly in COVID, I noticed all these COVID commercials um, and there was a uh, an individual on YouTube that had spliced them all together. Uh, and it was, it was a kind of a funny viral video because they all sounded the same. They're using the same words. And, but the mm. thing that I noticed was that in these, some 70 odd commercials that were uh, edited together, uh, over 90% of the voiceovers were white. Wow. And yet COVID affects the black population yeah. three times as much for, for a number of reasons in the white population. So why am I only hearing white voices? And my contention is, at least here in the U.S., we have defined the voice of the general market mm. and perhaps even mm. the voice of America as white. Mm. And so in our creative choices, you know, this, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, this sonic racism uh, has, has crept in. Um, and, you know, when, when we hire black voiceover talent, it's often because we're wanting to hear them sound a particular way. Right. And I, I've, I have been in, to yeah. my horror, I have been in voiceover sessions where I've heard a director, direct voiceover talent, could you sound more urban <sighs> or could you sound less urban? You know, yeah. and they might have, well, they, they, they could have just as easily said, could you sound more black? Could mm. you sound mm. less black? In fact, I mm. heard one voiceover talent say that actually a director said to them in a session, could you put more cotton in your voice? Wow. Um, yeah. and, and, and so these are ways in which we don't often think about race as a sonic construct. We think of mm. it visually. And so, you know, in our attempts to be more diverse in our advertising, Maybe we're seeing more diversity, but that's different than hearing more diversity. And that yeah. raises a whole lot of other questions. But that's just a way of, of talking about, you know, ways that we can think about sound um, from a purpose standpoint, from a meaning standpoint, from uh, a, 
a sonic diversity, um, equity, and inclusion standpoint. Um, and so that's kind of my passion and a passion for us at, at Studio Resonate and at, at SXM, where you know we've launched an initiative at StandForDiversity.com, where we're attempting to have advertisers um, and brands uh, take a look at how they're right. casting, um, what their voiceover rosters are, and and how can we move away from this default casting? Yes, you know, particularly yeah. here here in the U.S. Oh, I, I, I like very much what you say on that part because it's also the question: Is it ignorance, or are you so much biased that you don't even he hear it? So you 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 can't only hear what you know, and if yeah. you never heard or never or never heard that argument, um, yeah. then you yeah, then you just go on what you do. So yeah. I think I, this is a very good point. Yeah. It's it's a little of both, and I think this ties us back to our intentional listening. Right. You know, be, yeah. because what yeah. I'm trying to do, you know, as we're getting out and, and into presentations is I'm talking about diversity, but now I'm using a different angle. You know, yeah. I'm saying, you know, leave this presentation listening to the world in a different way. You know, how do you hear diversity in your communities? How yeah. do you hear diversity in your workplace? How do you hear diversity in your advertising? And how are we addressing um, diversity or the lack of it, um, and hoping that that, at the very least, changes or impacts the conversation, so that we're yeah. listening differently, and we can speak to it in a in a different manner. Right. It, it connects with what I just said about brands with a conscience. If yes. you're conscious because you have the awareness to understand what it is, then you have the ability to act. Or not, yes. but then it's a decision to act or not, or not just a doing something like you always did because everybody wanted it or asked for it, and, and you never got the idea that it might be wrong. And yeah. I think that's um, that, that's a very strong one. So, so how can we help others to develop ways to foster sonic diversity? Or, or, or maybe diversity, like we like we do, like we said, the multisensory part. So it's not only sonic. So how can we help people to to be more aware of diversity? And when we when we are um, using biases and, and going a certain direction. I mean, I think it starts with these kind of conversations, like we're having. Hopefully, whoever's listening to this, this might spark the thought. I never thought to listen that way. And so yeah. hopefully just from this conversation and other conversations like it, we begin the process. But there are some other specific things that we can do. And again, on the standforsonicdiversity.com, we outline a lot of these. But what we're advocating for is, you know, first look at um, talent rosters, whether you're a vendor that's supplying um, voiceover talent uh, or you're a company that's um, leaning into a, a vendor with voiceover talent. Um, make sure that the roster is, is diversified, um, you know, and that there's a, a good percentage of um, diverse voices there. Uh, and then the second thing we can do is look at our casting practices. Um, you know, are we just not thinking about it and thinking, oh, I'll hire a black voice talent when I'm speaking to a black consumer, hmm. as opposed to thinking about I'm going to, you know, represent 
the general diversity of the world by diversifying the voices that, you know, are, are speaking. And so how, you know, how do we change our casting practices so that we're casting more diverse voices? And then beyond that, we need to begin looking at, you know, not just the, the voice talent, but the people that are, are behind that too. So people who are writing the scripts, the creative directors, um, yeah. people that are thinking about, um, you know, the, the campaigns. We need more diversity there. Um, you know, if, if I, as a, as a white male, am writing a script for a black female, you know, it's not that I might not be capable of, as a good copywriter, writing something that could be effective. Hmm. But there's potential that I may be putting words into the voice of a black female voice actor that would be stereotypical or, you know, even potentially offensive. So we need to, you know, diversify the people um, that are, you know, kind of thinking about the creative, building the the creative. Um, And we need to foster opportunities where we can hear this diversity in the world and, and in our, in our companies. Hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's more than just, you know, having the corporate headshots, um, right. you know, we need to make sure that we're fostering, you know, the opportunities to, to hear each other in new ways to, to hear our voices um, and, and to ask questions about what we're hearing and, and what we're listening, because particularly when it comes to, to race, um, there are a few dialectical or maybe timbral markers that exist, but once you remove those, um, you know, again, the similarities are far uh, greater than than the differences. And and even asking the question, what does it mean to sound black? Right. What does it mean to sound white? Pushes us to begin to think about, oh, this is really less about the person speaking. It's more about the person listening, which brings yeah. us back full circle to, right. <laughs> you know, the, that the work that we're doing, um, whether it's sonic identity or whether it's music thinking, is really about um, the listener and the perception of the listener. Um, and how are we educating, training, um, influencing uh, the the listener. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills and I feel honored about this. It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email podcast at musicthinking.com. <laughs>